Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Young Me Mayor. And I'm Brian Park. We're going to do our Patreon shout outs because we have a, a really excellent guest today and we have so much to talk about. Yeah, let's get straight to business. Raw dog. Sorry, I'm horny. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Everyone run. It's like run. that, huh? Yeah, it's like that. Everyone yeah. run. Young me's horny. <laughs> um, if you like... <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if you like our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash feelingasian. Young Me and I offer different subscription tiers, but any donation amount gets you a shout out on the podcast where we guess who you are based on your name alone. And without further ado, our first shout out, Young Me, goes out to Jonathan Glick. Oh, Jonathan Glick. Not Jonathan Glick. I this is I feel like last week I had this like high school story and this also I had I okay, very cliche of me. I had an English teacher named Jonathan and I had a, such a big crush on him. But it was like it's like that cliche of like he's the only teacher that was like I believe in you. You know like you're you're different than the other kids like that kind of, And I was like so love with it. It's always English so, Right? Oh, that's our guest. And he was like very classic English teacher, like scruffy, like messy hair. You know, his button shirt was like sort of like, he's just a thinker, you know, an intellectual. <laughs> so this is what I'm, I'm feeling for Jonathan, Jonathan Glick. That's what's coming to my head right now. We're on the same wavelength on this. I definitely, I was going to guess he's an academic, but yeah. high, high school English teacher Spot on. Jonathan Glick, like classic English teacher vibe, English teacher look, very noble, very noble teacher, chose that life because he wants to inspire somewhat of a tortured soul, but- Socialist. (laughs) But yeah, I think, I think, you know what? This is probably our most confident guess of any shout out on this podcast. So, I think so, yeah. Jonathan, you don't need to DM us. We we know exactly who you are. Our second shout out goes out to Sheena Lou. Sheena Lou sounds like so hot. I'm seeing hair. You know, I see sometimes I see hairstyles. I see like <laughs> big <always> hair, <laughs> big like hair, big hair, you know, uh, big fluffy I'm, hair. I'm getting rich internet Chinese international student vibes from Sheena Lou. Oh, yeah. Big yeah. hair, expensive, big hair, expensive ass trench coat walking Columbia University's campus. Yeah. Like she gets yep. her hair done in the Japanese salon and it's like super shiny. You know, it's this <laughs> big wave, shiny. Yeah. Call me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this is the horniest episode already. <laughs> um. Yeah, she's uh, and she interns at Christie's auction house. Yes, I totally see that, Brian. Rich, international Chinese student crushing it at Christie's auction house, parting it up in the New York socialite scene. Yes, that's totally it. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sheena, thank you for supporting our work. Thanks for the money. (laughs) (laughs) And and our last shout out goes out to Jeannie Kim. Jeannie Kim. I know someone named Jeannie Kim. 
I wonder if it's the same person. Jeannie Kim, I'm just going to pull this out. Um, Jeannie Kim has big mom vibes. This is a mom for sure. A mom. <laughs> no, our guest just covered his face. My, a mom. What's my mom's name? Oh, <laughs> right. Be, be careful. Be careful. But not Jean, Jeannie. Does she go by Jeannie? Because I thought she went by Jean. You know, like Jeannie, like when you're, when you're like adding the E to the name. When you're Korean? Uh, when you're Korean, yeah. <laughs> when you're Korean. That feeling when you're Korean and you add an extra E to your name. <laughs> That's so funny, Jeannie. Oh, wow. Okay, so I'm going to guess that um, this is our guest mom. <laughs> That's literally your mom's name. Oh, my God. Actually. This is our Sorry, guest I mom. I feel like mom. I ruined. Now you can't say anything. You can say whatever you extremely, want. Extremely, extremely <laughs> supportive, full of love. Yeah, that's what I get. This this genie, yeah. not your mom. This genie, I feel like is a um, very loving, supportive mom. That's big the vibe Atlanta, I'm getting. Big Atlanta energy. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am seeing like, I'm seeing like a minivan, you know, like a suburban kind of mom, but I'm, yeah, I feel like maybe Northern California. That's the vibe I'm getting from this person. Spot on. This is. Enjoys this is, a beautiful <laughs> glass of wine. Uh, like a, like a nice, you know, like a nice glass of wine. <laughs> Great intuition in the kitchen. <laughs> Jeannie Kim, thank you for the donation. And to everyone who donated, thank you so much. And if you want to do so, once again, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash feelingasian. Youngmi, I want to introduce our guest. I'm uh, Please do. Our listeners, do us the honors. A, our listeners got a little taste, a little teaser. But I'm extremely excited because he's incredibly, incredibly talented. And I'm just going to say this as an aside, as a favor to my sister. You know, we've had a lot of guests on the Feeling Asian podcast, but my sister, when she asked me who we're having on the pod, she, this guest, she is, she is the most starstruck by this <gasps> guest. My Aww. sister absolutely lost her fucking mind. <laughs> and she's like, please just say it on the podcast that, I need him to know how much I love him. And so that's, uh, that's, I'm doing, I'm trying to be a good younger brother. Well, I'm going to mention he's a New York Times food writer. Give your ears to Eric Kim. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I just gave you the most awkward, clunky <laughs> intro ever. No. It was, like, <laughs> uh, it was really touching. I almost. Yes. Yeah, it was really touching. That I, is so touching. I, I always wondered with the intros if the guest is supposed to shut up until you introduce them because they often like <laughs> jump in and then Young Me's mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, yeah, that's our guest. <laughs> so what do you guys... No, we want them to. Okay. Yeah. We don't care. It's hard not yeah. to react because you guys are... I love that opening segment. It's just so funny. Sometimes I like watch the guest and I, I'm like, I'm so funny. And then I look at them and they're just like not reacting whatsoever. They're like... And I'm like, uh, I guess I'm not funny. <laughs> like, so I'm like, that was a good joke. And then they're just like, it's so awkward. Well, that's the funny thing because I'm just realizing that, you know, I was telling you guys, sorry, I'm eating ice. Um, I should not be eating ice on this. Um, but I, it's ASMR. It's, 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 I, 
listen to you guys while watch, walking my dog every morning. You know, I really do. Um, so many people who come on here are like, I'm a fan. I, I really am. And I'm always like, how big of a fan are you, though? But I actually listen to you guys. <laughs> and um, this morning, I was walking my dog, and I just, um, I, I was like rushing because I was this morning was kind of hectic for me and I wasn't listening to you guys and I was thinking um, this is so interesting because I'm going to be on this podcast uh, in, in a few minutes. Um, anyway, that was my morning and so this is all feeling very surreal because as you guys are doing the intro, I was just listening as if I was listening to the podcast. And But you know, like I, I forgot that like you were watching you're my face and stuff. <laughs> you were like, who's the guest this week, I wonder. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's me. Wait, it's, it's me. me. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly. this, we, we all know what's going to happen, Eric, is that when, after this episode comes out, you're going to be listening to yourself and you're going <laughs> to run into someone who's like, hey, what are you listening to there? And you're like, oh, nothing. Are you listening Me? to a podcast featuring yourself? <laughs> You're like, I'm gonna go. No, I'm gonna yes. put my dog. I'm gonna drop my dog off and tell my friend to watch him. And I'm going to walk into traffic right now. Dude, nice you know you. what? That's so embarrassing. I just realized, Brian. I actually listen to our podcast every Wednesday when it comes out, just to hear how it sounds, right? And oh I yeah, just, just, that's to, just like, to hear how it you've sounds. Unearthed, <laughs> you've like unearthed a new fear in me. What if I run into somebody and they're like, "What are you listening?" Nobody asks, "What are you listening to?" Though. I'm like Justin Bieber, that's less embarrassing. <laughs> no, the only time any, uh, I feel like that's a a trope where like guys will hit on girls on the subway who clearly don't want to be hit on because they have their earphones in, and you'll get a tap on the shoulder and be like, "Hey, what are you listening to?" Oh my god! <laughs> do you know? That, do you know? What's, this is like kind of a similar story. I was like walking on the street once, and I was I wore I was wearing a jacket that said "Opening Ceremony" on it, and somebody from behind was like, "Oh, I love your jacket!" And it was the the founder of Opening Ceremony. I met him at a party, so I knew who he was, and I was like, "Bro, that that's funny that you did that." <laughs> was he testing? Was he testing you? Yeah, he was like, "I wonder." No, he was seeing it. No, I, I wonder. Yeah. I don't know why he wait, said it. So and we wait, were still on the you, street. Did you know each other? <laughs> yeah, we had met each other, oh, but okay. he didn't see my face because I was walking in front of him. And I turned around and I was like, oh, that's so funny that you did that. But maybe he mm. was. I don't know. I'm going to withhold yeah. my opinion about that interaction. <laughs> 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 Young me, I want to ask you, how are you feeling? Manic. So manic. I don't know. Can you tell? I'm fucking, uh, well, I can you just, barely you finish just, a sentence. You just added three more colors to your hair. So I don't know if there's so a cute. correlation there. Really <laughs> so Thank great. you. Manic. I'm so happy. I'm feeling so, I wake up every morning with like my heart beating out of my chest. And I'm, Whoa. you know, like I was like, okay, I'm definitely having a manic episode. And I'm like, I don't want to pathologize my happiness, but I am Asian, you know? And I'm like, there's something wrong with me. I'm bipolar. That Like those vibes. But which is fine. It's okay that I'm bipolar, but um, having this like manic episode because schools reopened. I think this is what caused it. Schools reopened, and every morning I go to drop off my son, and I see all of these people that I used to see all the time, and they're like my in a weird way they are my friends because we saw each other every day, but they weren't like on a level of somebody I would call or like try to keep up with during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I had like all of these social interactions that I had all the time were immediately dropped overnight. And I didn't realize how much they meant to me until we went back. And then every morning I was like, oh, I love you. I love this woman. I love this man. I love this guy. Like whatever. Um, 
And the first few days, it was just like me being like, oh my God, you. And then hugging, crying. I cried like at least two times saying hi to somebody and just like holding each other in the playground. And I did not think, I didn't realize how important those like social interactions were. You know, it's like living in New York City, walking around, saying hi to the fucking coffee guy every day, saying hi to the, the person that you see five times a week when you're dropping off your son it just and then you forget to keep those like relationships up and then I just feel like every day after I drop off my son and I talk to them I'm like I can feel the dopamine in my head like I can I'm just like sweet sweet dopamine like after every social interaction it's nuts um but then another thing I just want to talk about briefly before I move on I like I feel really, really happy and it's hard, you know, I feel so happy right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but then there's this one thing I really wanted to say that I'm really proud of. I like went like on a few dates. I've been like dating now. Also another side of being happy is that the streets are horny (laughs) and it's just like, (laughs) the streets are horny. I was walking around outside like, ah! um, and, and I've been like dating yeah. and I went on a few dates with somebody and it wasn't right, but they were very nice to me. Mm-hmm. Right. And they were like, I want to be in a relationship. And we all know listeners that I do not want to be in a relationship. And, and, but this person was like saying things like that, but I don't even know if that was true or whatever. They said something like that. And I was like, Oh yeah, me too. Like I want to do this with you sort of like in my brain. And then like I stepped back and I was like, no, I don't, you know, like, um, I don't want to do this at all. It's just that this person is saying these things to me and I'm like kind of falling into that trap, which is like my former life of being a serial monogamous. Like anybody that came and wanted to be in a relationship with me, I'd be like, sure. I decided, you know, like uh, over a year, I guess like six months before the pandemic that I was going to be single for a year, Eric. Mm. And in that time, I think I like achieved what I was like planning to do, which is not getting into a relationship with everyone that wants to be in a relationship with me. Like I was like, this person isn't right. This is like not the, not something I should be doing. And then I like walked away from it. And I'm like really proud of myself. Nice. <sighs> and so I just wanted to share that go. story. <laughs> but the best thing was, and then like I, I like texted this person and I was like, this isn't working out for me. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then I was like, I have all these old thoughts, like these old thoughts, these fears, like when I was like a serial monogamous, like, am I ever these like crazy thoughts, you know, like, am I ever going to find somebody else that wants to be with me? Meanwhile, this person is somebody that I've known for six days. So I'm like, you know, like, (laughs) what am I even, (laughs) what am I even talking about? Uh, And then I had these like scared, like sad thoughts, like, oh, is this a mistake? Like this person seems like they like me, blah, blah, blah. Two hours later, I was in Bushwick on a mattress on the floor, just getting railed by somebody else. (laughs) Mattress on the floor. Back. Mattress on the floor. Life goes on. Streets are horny. And I'm having a manic episode. I'm so happy for you. That's that's the cycle of life. I'm proud of you. How are you feeling, Brian? Thanks, Brian. (laughs) How are you feeling? I need to not drink coffee for like a while. How are you feeling, Brian? Honestly, kind of similar. I'm feeling very up and I wouldn't say frantic, but I feel like very high and up. 
lately. And, you know, it's probably because of the horny vibes out in the streets. But uh, it's funny you mentioned like dopamine because this past week I've been (laughs) indulging in like this dopamine hack that I'm going to touch on really quickly (laughs) where... Oh, you're gonna give me so much shit for this, young me. I have a tendency to do this kind of stuff. Where so this past week, I have a I have an ice tub where you okay. can do a where you could do a cold plunge. So I wait flew, in your apartment. Yeah, and so there's okay. it's it's water that's forty degrees, and for the past six days, I've just plunged my body in it for five minutes. What? <laughs> How do you use five a, minutes? Yeah, that's a long time. And the parent, my friend was like, it's supposed to be super good for you because you're subjecting yourself to a positive stressor. In doing so and overcoming that, it alleviates a lot of anxiety and like depressive episodes. And it gives you like crazy dopamine afterwards. How shrunken does your... My, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's for five minutes. Yeah, for five minutes. Like I have to take a shower. It's like my dick becomes a chia pet where I have to get like hot water Aww. and I'm like, okay, whew, it's not gone forever. <laughs> it's it's still intact. <laughs> you know, I used to take wow. cold showers, you know, for a whole year because I didn't know how to turn my hot water on in my apartment. <laughs> and instead of just figuring it out and like asking someone, um, ultimately I, I, I fixed it myself, but I just submitted myself to cold showers for a whole year. And I, I convinced myself that this was fine because of exactly what you said. I, I had read that too, that it's supposed to make you happy or it's supposed to increase your neurotransmitters and whatever that make you feel a little calmer afterwards. But it really just sucked. Cold showers for a whole year. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Wait, well. so Eric, it didn't work for you? You didn't notice like a dopamine No, hit? I was really depressed that year, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, so. Oh, oh sorry. But I didn't mean to, I'm happy. I'm Jury's still out on this hack. <laughs> I'm super happy for you. I think an ice bath is way different. Uh, these were cold, long, mm. cold showers. Well, they were like short, cold showers, but the ice bath feels like still and purposeful kind of like you know that cold room in a sauna or like that like, yeah, it's yeah, usually yeah. like an igloo see i do that i do that, I like yeah. that yeah, yeah 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 that's nice I do that at Jimjirbang. I go to right. the hot, like what I do is I go to the very hot tub and then I jump in the cold tub and then I go back in the hot tub. Yeah, Apparently exactly. It's supposed to be good for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Wait, so Brian, you're saying that that this has worked for you? Like this has like changed your brain? Well, I don't know. Who knows? It's probably placebo. <laughs> I'm gonna keep doing it, but um, but just basically wow. to wrap things up, so I've been doing that and then uh, I've been dating and lately I've been trying to channel. You, I think, and I think about, I honestly think about you, young me, where I'm like, because, you know, after doing this podcast with you and like having gotten to know you on a very close level, it helps me like lower my own inhibitions and things I want to talk about. Because you're, you always try Mm -hmm. to tell me like, who gives a shit? Just fucking say it, be open. It is what it is. And yeah, yeah, like I, I, I went on, exactly. Like I went on a date recently that was like, she you know, I like disclose some things about myself where normally I'm be like, oh my God, this is too much. I'm so fucking cringe. And oh, yeah. she I was like that. super, yeah, but she was super understanding about it. It almost made, it made me realize like, damn, I need to, I need also, for one, I need to be nicer to myself, but two, I need to give people yeah. more benefit of the doubt. And like people are kinder than I like for whatever reason, because of my brain just so 
depressed or cynical that I don't want to like, I think they're going to judge me too negatively for certain things. So it was nice to be met with like a level of understanding that I tended to avoid or allow or wouldn't even allow myself to experience in a dating context. And Mm. then, yeah. I want, yeah, Brian, I'm glad that you came to that place with the self criticism because that's hard, you know, like that, like mean voice in your head. And I, I feel like that too. And I feel like the reason, you know, one of the reasons I like talking about my dating life openly on this podcast is I think, I mean, for me personally, and I'm guessing a lot of women, there's a lot of shame surrounding uh, having sex with people I barely know, but like, <laughs> like I just, I, I really want that message to be out there. You know, like I, that my self-critical voice is like, man, you're like, you're like a floozy. And I'm just like, that's not true. You know, right, right, no one right. thinks, no one think like all those mean things that you think about yourself or like what I think about myself. Most people don't think those things. Yeah, and I think exactly. It's, yeah. It's a good practice. Eric, how are you feeling? Man. Um, I feel like you guys took my answers because <laughs> usually it's like, damn, I'm horny. The cum trees are out. The cum trees are out. That and um, I'm so happy that you guys are happy. Usually I feel like, you know, that answer has not been a constant on this podcast. Usually, you know, you guys <laughs> say something else. And so I listen, you know, like I said, this is like a daily thing where I listen to you guys while I'm walking and when that question, first question comes, I'm like, I'm going to say, when I, when I knew that I was going to be on here, I, I, I was like, I'm going to say that I'm happy and I'm, it's going to be such a new answer and I'm going to say why it's <laughs> oh, okay to be happy. I'm like, I'm depressed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so thanks. Thanks for stealing. But um, actually, you know, I, uh, this morning was really hectic for me. So my real answer is I'm, I, I felt really anxious this morning and not just because mm-hmm. I'm uh, nervous to be on this, this podcast, but also my room is a mess. So I don't know if you can tell I decided to Marie Kondo it last Sunday and just mm. stopped midway. <laughs> That's not something you want to do because um, I just showed them my my clothes. I took them all out. That's the first step, right? You take all out all your clothes and take stock. And you're supposed to finish the process if, unless you want to live in a pigsty. But I realized I live in this tiny studio. And, you know, this morning I woke up like so anxious and I realized... I couldn't tell if it was the fact that my piece just came out or if it's because um, I'm, mm. I'm living in a mess and my kitchen is right there, which also has like my you know recipe test from yesterday. I didn't clean it up because I was meeting a friend for dinner last night. So I think, yeah. you, I, think I just really realized that I need a clean space to be functional mentally. And so I'm, I'm anxious right now, but I'm also super, I'm also super happy. And so, um, I'm having one of those like full circle moments because uh, this is the last time I'll say it, but I started listening to you guys last year, I would say. And, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of things in my life in the last year have changed for the better. And sometimes I think about where I started last year and where I am now. And it just, it's overwhelming. I just, it just feels fake. And so, mm-hmm. uh, my piece going up, for instance, um, on the New York times, which it, every day, bless you, every day. Thank you. It still, it still feels like surreal to me that I, this is my job and this is what I've been working mm-hmm. towards my whole life. And, um, I can't believe I'm here. Yeah. Sorry. That's like cheesy, but that's how I feel. I feel very overwhelmed, overwhelmed all the time. Yeah. Recently we talked to somebody about this, like when your dream comes true, right. Or like you self actual like this is like what yeah, you yeah, yeah. saw yourself like, uh, doing. 
And when Angela it happens, Oh yeah. And when yeah. it happens, you're like, I'm supposed to be so happy, but then you're like, I'm not why, or like there's a, it's overwhelming. So that makes sense. It's, yeah. It's everything I thought it would be. Oh God. Everyone's going to hate me. Um, I was like, I'm so happy. My dreams came true. Um, no, but I, I I've been, I, I, last year was very hard for me and, um, it's hard for yeah. everyone, everyone, of course, but, um, yeah. Uh, I just, when I think about, um, where I am and, the, my, my, my picture and like my baby picture with my mom is on the front page of the food section, uh, newyorktimes.com slash food. That, that website was yeah. my homepage, you know, like your mm-hmm. browser homepage in Safari. I like Safari. Oh, <laughs> it was my browser homepage for like the last five or six years. You know, it's like, it's just bizarre, yeah. bizarre to open up a new tab and my mom's face is there. It's like, that's yeah, kind of that's a, so it's bizarre. Amazing. Yeah. It's a regular thing now. And, I'm going to get the paper next Wednesday. Actually, it's going to be the day this podcast comes out. Um, I'm going to wow. get the paper and it's going to be a full page spread and it's going to be my mom's recipe, my, my recipe. And, um, I'm saying this because I don't know. I, it sounds fake still. It's all, I feel very yeah. weird. I feel, it feels weird. And I have a cookbook coming out. Sorry. I just, there's a lot of stuff that's yeah. happening. I'm, I'm trying to, yeah. well, it's hard to process it, I think. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, um, well, first and foremost, like, thanks for doing the pod because you're, it's like, you have all the, you're, where you're at this like juncture in your life where, like you said, it's overwhelming. A lot of stuff is happening. But, um, yeah, no, I think you should be incredibly proud of your accomplishments and it's incredibly well deserved. And, Thank you. uh, I, like, because I've, I've known you as a food writer. And so when I started reading your pieces, I'm just like, fuck. It's like you, you have a way of just, like just stabbing me in the heart in like the best way possible. And I'm like, damn, I was, he- I was here. I was here to read about like kimchi fried rice and now I'm fucking crying. Holy shit. Yeah, Brian and I, Brian and I have been talking about this and I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Obviously you're a very talented writer, but whenever we, we like read your work, we are like texting each other like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, like, is it, is it just cause we relate? Cause we're, Korean or I mean obviously it's very good like it's um but Brian's been like texting me all week but he's like oh my feelings <laughs> yeah and yeah. um I, I wanted to like ask you because you know for young me and me like our first introduction to your writing was uh your essay on how you came out to your parents and not gay yeah <laughs> and uh two things that stuck stuck out to us were um one like your parents initial reaction to it because you know you said it casually over dinner like i'm gay and they started laughing and i was like oh my god that's very asian because there's just <laughs> so much to unpack in that laugh yeah. and um and uh, you know, you said that you'd always thought that you were supposed to learn something about yourself when you come out, but you actually think you learned more about your parents from this entire experience. And uh, I kind of wanted to ask you, like, what exactly is it that you learned about them? And, you know. Uh, thank you so much for reading my stuff, first of all, and for saying all that so kind of you. Um, I, I'm now worried that I'm going to start, like, crying while talking about all of this because... Um, I have a friend, her name's Kristen, if she's listening. Um, she sort of gave me some advice. She was like, before you go on to anything, 
uh, make sure you just like cry your eyes out so that you can like get it out of your system before you go to a thing. But maybe this is good that I don't have time to cry before this, so I'm definitely probably gonna cry. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that that restaurant is our favorite sushi restaurant. Um, and then everyone's gonna ask like, what restaurant? What restaurant? I'm not gonna tell you what restaurant it is, but um. My Benihana. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. It's the best sushi in America. In Benihana. In Landlock, Landlock, Georgia. Um, yeah, my, you know, I, I, I planned on only coming out to my mother that day. And so we yeah. were supposed mm-hmm. to go to dinner and on our way out, you know, my heart's like pounding. I actually, oh, I have this, I have a nice story. I Facebook messaged, this was like, before Instagram was like that big, I think I Facebook messaged this food writer, John Birdsall. I, I think he doesn't, he won't mind if I say this. He gave, he wrote me the most lovely message. It was like really good advice. Um, and just about like coming out to parents. And, um, I don't, I don't even know if I've told him this, but that's the night I decided to come out to my parents. So I, to my mom. Yeah. And as, as we were walking out the door, my dad came home from work. He was like, Oh, I'll join. <laughs> I like sushi. Oh, I was like, gosh. fuck. I was like, crap. Um, okay, I guess this is happening at the same time. Um, and in hindsight, <laughs> in hindsight, I'm really glad it happened at the same time because I think, you know, they really needed each other throughout this whole process. It was right before mm-hmm. Christmas. So luckily I, I had already planned to be there for about a week or two for, for break. And well, what I learned about them, I think I didn't know what to expect. I think that's the hard part about coming out as a an Asian person and as a Korean person. I'll speak for you know my family. There are no there are no examples of it on in media. Um, there were certainly no essays I had read about this mm-hmm. about specifically coming out to Korean Catholic Southern parents. And um, I always joke to my friend that I would write a memoir called my gay Southern Catholic Korean memoir just to like just pinpoint like all, <laughs> all the difficult things that are that my big gay <laughs> Southern Catholic memoir <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of things in there that um, are saying that gay is bad right um, but yeah. ultimately I realized first of all I was ready to come out that was really important I, I didn't come out when I was like in high school or something I came out at, way after and I used to feel so tortured about that. I was like, oh man, I'm still in the closet to my parents. But coming out to them and seeing how hard it was for them and it was my job to to help them through it, to like walk them through it and to explain. And I could only do that later in my life. And I was really glad that I waited. And, you know, be- yeah. because the, the message I was seeing on YouTube or, or TV or whenever a white gay boy comes out to his parents he's usually like I don't know pretty young he's like in high school still or uh, and, and I think that's the narrative but it's a lot there are many other obstacles um when you're when you're Korean coming out to parents who are Catholic and but um the, yeah. the thing I learned about them is that that they didn't care and it was more they just needed to understand and it's been it's been a while. It's been a few years, and I think if I can come at it from another angle, this this might be a way to answer it. Years later, I like to tell this story because it's kind of sweet. And um, when I started to get more bylines and people started to recognize me, my my name more in in my writing, my my mom decided to Google me, and so she go- mm-hmm. go- she Googled my name and um, she found my website and she found the essay, mm-hmm. and so. Mm-hmm. I, when the piece went up, they, they didn't know about the piece, and I hadn't 
told them that I had written it. Because <laughs> uh, I just, you know, I don't know, when you're Asian, you kind of like don't share your work sometimes to your parents. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Yeah. especially this piece, I, I was sort of like, sorry, I just kind of like shared a very <laughs> in, intimate part of our, our family history. But at the same time, I I think they, um, they, they, they tried to read through it. My mom and my dad sort of like sat there together, like line by line, which is like really sweet. And um, I think the main thing was, I'm glad I didn't share it with them because uh, they didn't. They were they were they weren't sure if the message in it was good. They didn't know if mm-hmm. if they came out good in the piece, and because you know the the language barrier. And I think if someone's out someone out there can translate it for them, I think that'd be helpful. But ultimately, I was able to co- come to them years after the essay published and to say, no, 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 no. Everyone was super impressed with the way you handled that, and that's why I wrote about it because um, mm-hmm. it wasn't a, the common coming out story, but it was also really beautiful in its, yeah. in its own way because of the way you handled it. And I hope that it um, encourages other Asian families to, um, to you know, understand that their version of that coming out story is not going to be the same as the one that's in media. You know, I think reading it for me, um, yeah, there's like so many interesting parts like the, like brought what Brian brought up the laugh, the laughter, like you told them, not gay, yeah. And then they started laughing. <laughs> like they thought it was a joke, and, yeah. Yeah. And they thought it was a joke. And that's very interesting. And it says a lot about like Korean culture and maybe just like immigrant culture and like how that like homophobia is a lot of time like the butt of jokes, unfortunately. But which is like for me, your parents came out looking very, came out looking great. But like they, <laughs> they, they were very loving. Like, obviously, in the beginning, they were very upset um, in your story. And they, I have so much compassion for, like, immigrant parents and, like, yeah, um, Korean so. parents or Asian parents or people who don't, like, you know, when, when they live here, they have to, like, conform to every, like, possible thing because they just want so much for you to have a safe life, you know? And so I, I have more compassion for them if they are, like upset that you're gay and stuff like that but yeah in the end I actually that like leads me to one of the questions that I had for you about your article so your dad yeah yeah that part in the article about your dad and like you know he he does accept you and he had all these questions that were like you know came from a place because you just didn't know they weren't like that offensive or anything um but like my question to you is like what you know, he's like Hannam, which we talked about <laughs> yeah. like last episode. He's like a Korean man. Culturally, it's completely unacceptable for you to be gay, Korean, Catholic in the South, like all of those things. What What do you think about him, his personality or like, what do you think made it that he is so ex- like accepting of, of that? Mm, that's a great question. I feel like I pay so much attention to my mother in my writing, but not my father. And of course, there, right. are, there are reasons for that. But my dad, I think in many ways, because they spent their 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, they, they spent, they grew up in Korea, sure, but they immigrated here when they were quite young. And so I think of my dad as quite Korean American. He's, and even his personality, I think he's kind of like the, the, class clown or the the life of the party he's kind of that guy and uh he sings really well he's like not a bang king kind of guy um <laughs> he, lo- he loves partying and drinking and like i think he's and he's a really good man and i think i think he's not like Hanan. like he, he kind of has those those characteristics of course um you know never right. just dis- never disrespect him never talk back that kind of stuff but at the end of the day i think because i'm so different from him he respects me that sounds weird but 
he um yeah. he kind of like can't touch it. He's like I don't know what to do with that, mm. but um but he's so proud and so um yeah. <laughs> yeah, cuz no, Aww. like honestly like that part where you described like your father's like how he came around and like accepted the acceptance for you. Um that mm. made me really emotional because me too. You know, my parents say it to me a lot how like mm-hmm. we'll always love you cuz you're our son like in spite of some like maybe behavioral transgressions or times I've gotten in trouble and mm-hmm. just seeing it it so beautifully written out like it evoked that reaction in me like the part where your dad was like I know this is going to be hard to explain to our family in Korea but yeah. I just want you to know that like I love you and I still like accept you and that part like <sighs> fucking ruined me and I, but, like in a good way and, and like the yeah. best yeah, way because way. I, I don't give them enough credit and yeah. I think I guess that's like a you theme know, that's yeah. like a theme in my, the... for this episode for me is like mm. yeah. yeah I think that's my lesson you asked what I learned what I learned was you have no idea what how they're going to react and you, there are a lot of things yeah. about your parents you don't know so it, you have to talk to them and that was like the very first time I really talked to them man we had so much wine. I don't know why we had that many <laughs> bottles in the house, but we all had, we sat around the table, had like four bottles of Cabernet. It's like really heavy, like wine. <laughs> Everyone had- Full-bodied full Cabernet. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's like, it's like syrup. You're like. Yeah. <laughs> it was delicious. Um, and, and the point, of, and that's where the kimchi fried rice comes in to soak it all up. But we really needed we really needed some liquid, you know, they call it liquid yeah. courage. Yeah. We, we, we needed to talk through it. And so we spent hours around the table sort of talking about it that first night. You know how Brian was saying that part was really emotional for him because he's like, oh, I don't give my parents the benefit of the doubt. For me, it was emotional because I remember a bunch of things that like when I was a kid, I needed my parents to be on my side. And they, my mom wasn't because she's like, you know, in Asian culture, you have to conform to the cultural norms, right? And so a lot of times, like, you know, if somebody was like, you know, young me is like too fat, my mom would be like, young me, you're too fat. Like my neighbor said, mm. you're fat and you're too fat. You have to lose weight now. And I was like, all I wanted was for her to be like, I'm on your side, you know, like instead of, instead of siding with everyone else, just be like, yeah. no, this is my daughter and I love her. And I feel like that's, that's something that it reminded me of, like, if my dad, or, you know, or my mom, if I said, you know, I'm gay, I, like, for them to be like, fuck every, fuck my neighbors, fuck what Koreans, Koreans say, I'm, like, on your side. Yeah. Like, I feel like that would be so moving for me. Yeah. Anyway. That's actually why that's like, um, I, I kind yeah. of burst into tears in the restaurant first, because... So I, I kind of want to explain that part because now I can actually like, tell you what happened. Um, that was all editorialized, right? Nothing was like fake, but like I, I left out certain details. Like their na- their laugh in hindsight now, I recognize it as a nervous laughter. They were nervous because they, they knew yeah. they knew I was ta- like I was being serious, and so their yeah. fake face it was just like I'll always remember that face, like the laughter, but then the way it sort of like the laugh broke into oh, like shit. a frown, yeah. and then uh, they didn't cry yet, but I think. Their, their faces got very serious. And then I think, you know, maybe my dad said, that's okay. He said something like that. And then, so I, I cried and that made my dad cry. And then that was part of it. Like, um, I, I felt overwhelmed that they were 
okay with it, first of all. Um, that was surprising. For, you know, it's surprising for any terrified gay kid coming up to their parents. But yeah. then I realized that, okay, that's actually just like the first hurdle. Like there were so many other things. Like I have to like, then we spent the next week really just talking through it. And um, the process is so interesting. There's so many layers and emotions, you know, at every step of the way. Yeah. It's, a yeah. long, it's a long process too. Recently, my mother and I, you know, before I left Atlanta, I think it was like the last day we were in the car and it's definitely like one of those heart to heart moments. She said, um, so do you have any chingu or like, how's your chingu? And, and then, um, and then she was like, cause that's what, that's what they kept calling my boyfriends over the years. And then, um, eventually like chingu means friend to yeah, right, right. Uh, people who don't speak Korean. Yeah. But it, it was nice. Um, in that car, she said, um, she changed it to namja chingu. And I think, Hearing those words oh. come out, I think her <laughs> young niece face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, I'm crying. It's, uh, <laughs> um, Why am I crying? <laughs> I, I think um, uh-huh. you know, I think those words are just now becoming comfortable in her mouth. Like, um, mm. I can imagine a Korean person who isn't used to gay people being like mm-hmm. calling, saying "I'm just you" in the context of um of another boy. That's I think that's a big step. So, yeah. And then ultimately, they just want me to be happy. And now they're like, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> and also, also, I think media is catching up, even Korean media. Um, so you have a new cookbook coming out next year um, titled Korean American. You know, your writing is very personal. And you write a lot, uh, like you mentioned, like about your mother. And what was, and from my understanding, like you spent... Uh, a significant amount of time with your mom in Atlanta, uh, like working on this book. Like, what was that entire process like for you? Yeah, man, it was, it changed my family. Like, it changed our lives. Like, mm, we, really? <laughs> because you're spending eight months under, oh, sorry, the same roof. So we were all together. Um, I'm developing these recipes, trying to like write down our family history, our family uh, recipes. And each recipe has, you know, a story. I, I try to ask my mom for each dish, like, how, what's your first memory of this? That's usually the first question I asked her. And ultimately, I, I have this section in the book um, where I talk about the context of the, the, the writing, which is I'm sort of the, the med- like the translator. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my job is writing down my mom's stories and my mom's the subject of the book, I would say. And, um, you know, so the rest the book is a mix of her recipes and mine, but even the ones that are my recipes are obviously influenced by memories of her. And the Mm -hmm. recipes that are hers are of course filled with memories of us as kids and of her growing up um, in Korea. And so what's, I, it's it's one of those things where I, I feel so grateful that this this book deal helped me do this project that usually takes a lifetime for people. You know, everyone always says, write down your family recipes, call your mom, mm-hmm. you know, get that kimchi recipe. Um, but no one ever actually does it, right? And so I had these yeah. eight months and in quarantine, that was a big part of the, the isolation with my family, I think facilitated all of these stories and this opportunity to slow down and really write everything down and it was a very it was a very surreal experience to get to do that and I know that uh, I don't know if I'll ever have that opportunity again to spend that much time with my family and I'm just really happy that I I got it down on paper because 
I think that's probably why I'm a writer. I, you, you have to write things down to make them permanent. And so that, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We, we can, we can remember, there are other mo- means, right? What you can record, you know, you can have videos and you can record audio, always record your parents, mm-hmm. their voice. Cause you, you know, there's, I think that was hanging over the book. Um, this notion of like death, um, because not just because my family had had gone through uh, multiple deaths um, prior to me starting that book, but um, obviously the coronavirus, um, we're all thinking about it. Um, I, I think about this book also in relation to Japanese breakfast a lot, like crying in H Mart. That's usually the narrative. It's like oh, I didn't get to ask for this. I didn't get to ask for this, and mm-hmm. I watched mm-hmm. my cousin lose her father, and mm-hmm. so. I had this opportunity when I was really thinking about death the most, and I realized that um, this was my chance to to ask them everything I want and everything I can, right. everything, everything I can think of. And um, so I really, I'm really excited for people to read it because I think oh, it yeah. tells the genesis story of my family in America. But it, my hope right. is, my hope is that uh, they will see themselves in it, their families. Um, I I think that even though it's a very personal personally driven book, uh, mm-hmm. the mode is memoir. I, I think the best kind of memoir is the one that is written in a way so that the narrator almost gets lost and it's, you're able to right. let the reader insert themselves. And that's the best kind of first person writing, I think. So my hope yeah. is that people will read the story and be like, this is my family. Um, cause that's what I want. I, f- I feel like that's so big on our minds right now. And I don't know if it's coronavirus or just being Asian or being Korean and love loving being sad. But like, that's, I feel like it's like everyone, I feel like everyone's thinking about their parents dying right now. Right. Yeah. Like I've been thinking about, like I've been like writing stuff about my family and just like death is such a big thing on my brain without me even knowing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard not so, to think like that. And, um, yeah. I think it's, it's not something we, any of us want to think about, but mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I have a chapter in the very end called feasts and it's, mm. it's about, it's about death and it's about funerals. Mm. And, um, I think my, my point is that these celebrations that we have over, you know, fried chicken or, um, or like all the party dishes in that chapter, they, yeah. they're not just about celebrating, you know, people while they're here, but it's about celebrating them when they, when they go. And, um, I think, I think Koreans think about death a lot and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it makes you more appreciative of the present. Uh, I think about this all the time, the traumas that I've experienced in my life, those are the experiences that make me grateful for everything I have now. And I think that's part of why all the amazing things that are happening to me now in my career, uh, they feel fake because, um, Mm. I, I feel them intensely and, I'm, I'm glad oh. I feel them intensely. None of this feels like, oh, I expected this. You know, it's more like, like yeah. I, I feel everything surreal. intensely and surreal. Yeah. I, I keep hearing you say the word surreal and fake, which is, I just feel like it's an important part of like, you know, like what we said in the beginning, like once you do achieve what you're setting out to do, there's this struggle with like absorbing it <laughs> right yeah. it's like this is i did it what <laughs> you, you work so hard to get to a point and you don't yeah you don't think about what you're gonna do once you're there and i'm not mm-hmm. saying that like i'm there already but i um i'm trying to slow down and enjoy it because um i 
I don't know. I just can't believe I wrote a cookbook. Like that, that's another thing. That was yeah. always, that was a, one yeah. of the biggest, one of the biggest dreams. And it all just happens so fast. Like reading all of your essays, it's made me re-examine how I look at my mom's cooking Mm. And just like mm. food in general, because I take a lot for granted. You know, I spent a lot of time with my mom in quarantine, similar to you. And, uh, you know, I would help her out in the kitchen, but I would never really be 100% present, nor would I even take a moment to like fully try to understand and grasp like what it is that she was trying to teach me. Mm. I was just mm-hmm. like, just give me the steps, give me the recipes, like whatever. Like, yeah, okay. Like I'll put in <laughs> this after this part and like let this marinate and sit. And, um, your writing makes me want to just call my mom and like, <laughs> I guess apologize, but just do better because I take food for granted. Like it is absolutely a conduit and a medium in which you can really get to understand someone more deeply and like the history behind them. And yeah. like, I just don't take enough time to just ask my parents like mm. simple questions of like, where did you learn this? Like who yeah. taught you this? And with mm-hmm. that, like you just learn so much. Like there's just a rich history. Like yeah, before the, before this before this book, I hadn't either. And I think that's the point. That's the thing I learned. It sounds mm. so obvious. It's like of course you should ask your mom like how to. Oh. But slowing down. Yeah, that's interesting because you're like a food writer, so you yeah. had, like didn't really have that relationship with your mom before the book. Well, yeah, I think there were like there are maybe a couple articles where I did that, but um, yeah. having a whole book project where. I really did have to dig in and this notion of memoir writing, we're talking about how personal these essays are. And, um, I I think one thing that I've always wanted younger writers to know is that it's not easy writing about your personal life. And some people, um, think that that's how you get into the industry. It's like tell your darkest story. And, um, Mm. I I guess what I want to tell people is, um, don't give away your stories too soon. Like, wait until you're ready. And Do you feel that as a person of color, food media or just the industry at large, um, do you feel this pressure to have to mine like very, very deeply personal stories or certain traumas? Because I don't know, I see that. Yeah, in, yeah. We, we see that in like film and television. And I was curious mm. like if you found that to be the case in your experience too. You know, in my particular case, no, because... I feel that this is my genre and it's kind of the form of writing that I do the most. And it's the one that I think I'm known for the most memoir, Mm -hmm. um, personal essay, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, there is definitely this trope in food media where younger writers or at least like beginner writers, um, they sort of see this kind of essay out there and they think that that's their way into uh, the industry. And so they give up mm-hmm. some of their you know, deepest, most personal stories. Right. Of course, when an editor sees a pitch like that, they're like, "Ooh, I want that story, diversity." <laughs> but I think um, it, it takes yeah. it takes a really emotionally intelligent, sensitive editor to know actually when to say no to that pitch. Yeah, is that like advice that you would give to like writers, especially people of color, right? Because like those sort of like immigrant like stories and things like that, like. Uh, sort of like a predatory editor would look at that and be like, ooh, clicky, clickbait, right? Right, right. So yeah, I would say I, I, I definitely want younger writers to just protect their hearts. Like, that's that's yeah. that's my one piece of advice. And, you know, there are editors out there who are good and who will get a pitch mm-hmm. like that, like a personal essay, and be like, they will reject it because they're like, um, 
maybe this is like not the time for this right now, but uh, mm-hmm. do, you have, do you have anything else? Like, let's let's talk about other ideas. And I think um, there are, there's food writing is so big. There are many kinds of essays. Um, you, you don't have to bury your soul each time, and and you shouldn't mm-hmm. because it's, um, it's 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 taxing even for for someone who's been doing it for a while. That's a good yeah. point. I feel like you, you see so many stories from people of color where they're, you know, like white people don't always have to be like, my grandma died or so, you know, yeah. it's like, but people of color, yeah. it's like, oh, when my uncle got killed by the blah, blah, blah. And, and, and that's why I'm talking about like spring rolls or something. And you're like, oh, it's almost like they expect us to do this little dancey dance. Yeah. And them, it's a little know, trauma. It's like trauma porn. Yeah. Right? It's a yeah. little, it's like this little trope. Yeah. It's this trope that's kind mm-hmm. of, um, it's almost character. It's like, and, and mm. if it's not edited by someone good and sensitive and emotionally intelligent, yeah. it's going to come off very, uh, very exploitative, sl- exploitative and, and a little, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but, um, I want to tell this story. So, um, at a former place of work, um, I, there was an editor who had, who held a meeting that was, to mine these kinds of stories from all of us. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it was wild. Uh, I, you know, I thought the the meeting, like, uh, I like that challenge because I'm a memoirist and I like that kind of writing. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, everyone had to come up, you know, come in with their <laughs> deepest, darkest, like, trauma oh. story. Trauma, oh my trauma God. story. My, my, colleagues and I, <gasps> my colleagues and I still talk about this meeting and it was so, wow. It was so, I was like, am I seizing right now? This woman was like, um, mm, I don't want that feeling. I don't want that experience. That experience wasn't big enough. Oh. Let's listen. And it, it was just oh. like, this is not, oh you, sh- you should not be having a group meeting about this. This should be one-on-ones with an editor you trust. They should, I guess. So what I'm saying is like, beware of that. Yikes. Like, that's not how you do it. And, um, she's like, no, yeah. this, this story is sad, but do you have anything sad? Yeah, do you exactly. have any more death? More yeah. deathy death? Like, yeah. oh, that's oh my so God. creepy. Um, and, wow, that's and, so bad. And it was very uncomfortable. Everyone was basically like bearing their soul in that meeting. And, um, that yeah. is not the kind of, it no. wasn't, it wasn't a safe space. And that was the most but, important mm. part. That sounds, that sounds like acting class, Brian. Brian and I did the Meisner technique and we were all just like, tell us more. And we were yeah. just like sobbing oh. and we had to get naked and stuff. Whoa. I mean, that's that's the place for it. You're in a safe, no one's ever uh. going to talk about it outside that room. You're burying your soul to like touch your emotions because right. you're trying to become you're trying an to actor. Act. Yeah, okay. You're not trying to write a recipe for kimchi bhajan or something. Like, no, yeah, somebody has to die. Your neighbor, your neighbor has to, your father, talk about your father. And it's like, sh- why am I talking about this in a fucking recipe? Yeah, yeah exactly. God. But um, with that said, I wrote about my ex a lot in my column. I, I had this column called Table for One. Um, and it was mostly about mm-hmm. cooking for one and loneliness. And the reason I wrote the column was because I was in this really toxic long distance relationship. And um. As soon as, as soon as I got out of it, the column got much harder to write. It's like ironic. Um, when I was truly single, I couldn't I couldn't write this column oh about being single. Oh. That's the thing. I don't know because yeah. I I have a I have this thing called like the shitty guy muse. <laughs> that I used to I nice. used to like sleep oh. with this shitty guy all the time because every mm. time I'd write a tweet, it would like get seventy thousand likes. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> exactly. I can't. I I don't like him. He sucks. Right. But I have to keep seeing him because the tweets are fire. Because <laughs> the art is good. Yeah. Well, mine was the opposite. These some of these pieces I wrote about him are really cringy. I'm just like, 
Mm. I wish. Oh, you didn't like it? I kind of like, well, in hindsight, you know, years later, I I look at some of those old pieces and I'm like, ooh, I wish I didn't write about this. Uh, But, you know, (laughs) whatever. Like, I'm an adult. I I did it. I was ready for it. Yeah. Speaking of food and dating, though, I'm kind of curious. Like, what are some foods that evoke love for you? For me, it's always rush chicken because that's such a. It's such a. I don't know, maybe like obvious answer, but for me, it's like, I I like cooking things that are, that you can't necessarily get in a restaurant. You can definitely get roast chicken in a restaurant, but you know what I mean? Like a home cooked roast chicken, that that's really something that's really special to me. And I I just, I love doing chicken with bread and just like tearing some croutons in there in that chicken fat. And it's a very like indulgent meal, but it's very much home food. And I think home food is, is certainly something that I would be cooking for a date. Yeah. What about you guys? Uh, for me, I mean, I, I guess the only context in which I like show love through food is cooking for my son. Every time I make him something that I've put a lot of love into, he doesn't like it. So, <laughs> well, he's like seven. Like I was, like I was making. Oh, he did like kalbi jim, which makes sense because he's seven. Oh, right. Kalbi jim, he really liked that. But then I, I don't know if any parents are listening. Like a kid will like something, and then you keep making it. And then they just won't eat it the next time you make it. Wow. Like, yeah. they'll be like, oh, I love I love mac and cheese. And you're like, okay, I know you're going to eat this for sure. Then they just won't eat it. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's kind of hard. Right. But mm. he likes uh, he likes spaghetti. Oh, I love that. Really, I know. I love that your answer. I'm so excited he likes it. I love yeah. that your answer for this was um, your son. Like, you, you know, you were asking <laughs> about food and love. And I, I immediately yeah. went, went to like the horny place. I was like, boys. And then... You went to your son, which is always sweet. Yeah. Well, that's like, yeah. I guess, the only place that I like. Mm-hmm. Cook. That's cook. the only person I cook well, for. Can well, we, can we talk about your dog? I'm not cooking for no man, uh. let's be honest. I am a chaotic mattress on the floor yeah. <laughs> for the streets. I'm not cooking for anybody. Let's be, let's make that very clear besides my son. Yeah. Does he like Does he like your toshidaks? Like, I love those toshidaks you make and... They're so cute. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. He <laughs> barely eats any. <laughs> I'm like, I spent all more. I wake up early to like make the rice balls and he, he'll eat one. Aww. Aww. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you will remember it one day. I still remember my mom <laughs> making me ham and mayo sandwiches and she would cut the bread so that it was a teddy bear head. Wait, how about you, Brian? What's the food that evokes love for you? Well, I'm not a great cook for one, but when it comes to dating... Just breakfast foods in general. Mm, it mm-hmm. oftentimes reminds me of like the honeymoon phase of early relationships yes, where yeah. you like are spending all your time together and spend the night at each other's places as often as possible. And it's like such yeah. a great feeling when you're in like fresh love and you wake up before your partner and you like want to cook yeah. an awesome breakfast and like just just show your affection for them with like, yeah. yeah. It reminds and me, like, it's very, make, it's very romantic to me. Yeah. You want to make breakfast at home because you don't want to leave because then if you make it at home, you can have sex after you eat your breakfast <laughs> is, where I, is what I think. Right? 100%. <laughs> if you go out to brunch, then you'll, you know, the, the other person will well, go home after. No. <laughs> um... Well, Eric, thank you for joining us on the podcast and for just being so vulnerable and sharing so many of your like um, thoughts with us. Uh, but before we let you go, this is a question that we like to ask all of our guests, and that is, what is something that you're proud of? Oh, man, God, everyone, 
on the podcast always says, "Oh crap, I forgot to think about this." But actually, I, I you you do always forget to think about it. Um, uh, I'm proud of. Uh, I think I'm proud of my my happiness. <laughs> Sorry, that sounds so sounds cheesy, but own it. Uh, okay, I'm gonna yes. own, I'm gonna own it because I feel like I've been sad my whole life, and I finally found this balance of um, you know work and relationships and family and. I think working on the cookbook was a real wake-up call for me. It showed me what life could be like if you incorporate your family into it more. And, mm. that, you know, I, I spent so, so much of my 20s just feeling very alone and working towards my career. And I, I forgot to check in with my family. And so those eight months under the same roof with all of them um, made me realize how much healthier I am. When I have them in my life, and I think when I can, sorry, <laughs> when I can carry them with me wherever I go, even if I'm, you know, not necessarily home in Georgia with them, uh, there's always always caca, right? <clears throat> oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Well, Thanks. I'm so glad that you you came on the podcast to talk about this. Like, um, you know, your writing moves us so deeply. I'm sure it's moving for all Asians. I mean, every even if you're not Asian, obviously, it's very personal <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Like, it speaks to so many people um where can our listeners find you on social media oh yeah my name is eric chunol on instagram and twitter and everywhere and uh look for my byline on the new york times and the food section and what's the name of your book coming out it's called korean american a cookbook and it's it's uh it's gonna have a lot of stories that make you cry <laughs> nice i'm looking forward to your your second book uh Gay Korean yeah. Catholic in the South. <laughs> big, gay, big gay Koreans. Southern Catholics. Southern, Southern Catholic. Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> <A> self. <laughs> awesome. Um, Youngmi, uh, where can our listeners find you on socials? YM Mayor and then Youngmi Mayor on TikTok. How about you, Brian? Uh, you can find me on socials at It's Brian Park. Uh, follow other podcasts on socials at Feeling Asian Podcast. That includes Instagram and TikTok. And if you're looking for an audio engineer, uh, hit up Sarah Pack on Instagram at IM underscore P-A-K-T. That's at Impact. And I think that's it. Bye, that's everyone. It. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.